Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are live again on Peggy's Recovery Corner. This is a recovery podcast where we talk about all things recovery or lack thereof, depending on how you roll. Um, recovery from substance abuse, alcoholism, and uh, we even discuss mental health and things like that. So today's guest is a very good old school friend of mine. Her name is Cindy. I know her as a whole different last name, but we'll just call her Cindy Wofford today. Um, welcome to the corner, Cindy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. So um, I, I'm sure you've watched a couple of our podcasts or seen or listened, but um, we like to delve into your past. We want to get to know you. We want to know where we, where Cindy was born, where she was raised, and then you know, tell who is Cindy W. Cindy W. Um, <laughs> so I um, actually was born in uh, Colleen, Texas. Uh, my dad was in the Army um, at Fort Hood. And um, they lived on the base, I believe. And then I was probably not even two years old before we uh, relocated out to Fullerton, California. Mm -hmm. um, which is where I live now. Um, you know, I can say um, I also have a younger brother. He's four years younger than me. Um, you know, life for probably um, the first six years was great for me. For the first six years of your life? Yes. You mean... Out in Texas? Out in California. Oh, out in California. Okay. Then, and then? Well, um, so there. Um, Katie says hi, by the way. Here, let me. Katie. Katie Johnson. Hi, Katie Johnson. In some circles named Katie Shoe. Whitey <laughs> <laughs> was in the shoe. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> we'll get into that in a second. Yeah, I know. What yes, this we is. Okay, so you know, uh, we talk about the first six years. So, the first six years, you know, I believe, um, you know, when we come into recovery and uh, long term recovery. Um, we reflect back on our childhood and things like that. And, you know, I can only honestly say that I, I truly believe that my parents did their best with what they knew how to do as far as raise children. Mm. Um, I, my dad, um, my dad was a hardworking man. Uh, he, we had a house um, down here in Fullerton and you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, it looked really good on the outside. You know, um, there was, we would go to church. Um, I was raised Catholic. Um, you know, I, I, I remember, you know, the, the church going to the holiday churches, right. For Easter, for Christmas, those kind of things. Um, my brother was born, um, and I didn't like my brother. I didn't like that he was born and it took away me. Um, my grandmother um, called me Cinderella. And my nickname as a child was Lucy. Um, like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds from the Beatles. Mm. Uh -huh. um, and I was the first grandchild. 
So when my brother was born, you know, I kind of took away the the shine and the sparkle and, um, you know, my dad and my mom, I think that um, for whatever happened between their relationship or whatever was going on, um, like my dad had me in softball. I was a catcher um, for the West Coast or um, for the Western Fuller, West Fullerton uh, Bobby Sox. And I did that for a lot of years um, as a catcher. Um, my dad coached the teams. My brother was in Little League. Like it was, it looked, it looked fine on the outside, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, <clears throat> and then alcohol decided to come into the picture. And when I say, as in, as in you started drinking alcohol, or others were drinking as, around you? As in, my father um, started drinking, and my my, my dad is um, now deceased. He passed away right before. Um, Hi, Austin. He passed away right before um, COVID hit or right when it hit. Anyways, um, you know, like it was back in the in the late 70s. I was born in 68. So it was back in the 70s. And and the hippie, like I remember there was pot and um, and alcohol and like Christmas parties at my grandmother's were fun and everybody was laughing. It, you know, I uh, have a very large Irish Catholic family. Um, everybody drank, everybody got loud, um, you know. Um, but I, I remember there was a couple times, you know, where that thought came in my mind, like, can my dad drive home, right? Like, like he's really three sheets to the wind and can he get us home safely? Um, and I have a memory too, and I don't think I've ever shared this when I spoke. I did not like my dad when he was driving. I didn't like him sober driving. I didn't like him intoxicated driving. Um, he was super arrogant and um, uh, not a nice person when you're driving, not that many of us are, because I can be listening to Christian music and yelling at the person that just could cut me off. But um, so that's kind of alcohol was introduced probably early age, right? Early. Um, and um, there was, when the alcohol got too intense in the household, um, we would, hi Lisa, we would go over to my grandmother's and unfortunately at my grandmother's, um, there was some, um, sexual abuse going on there with me, um, that started at around age six. And that's why I say the first six years were good. Um, I got a feeling. yeah. So, you know, at, at that young of an age, you don't have any other experiences to go off of, right? So you think that is kind of normal and that happens in every household. Mm -hmm. um, and that, um, that went on till about age 15. Um, when, you know, when it really, 
I'm just going to go into it, Pesh. Go for it. Okay. So when it got really bad in my household, um, meaning, um, like I remember sitting my back against my bedroom door and those six, six, those first six years, like I had the princess bedroom, like I had purple carpet, a pink canopy bed, or maybe I had pink carpet, not really quite sure, or, or purple walls. Mm -hmm. uh, it was all princess, right? And I remember um, leaning my back against the door and I would count how many times my dad would go up and down the hallway yelling at my mom. And I would count how many times he said the F word. And I remember having that, uh, and I'll probably cry just so you know, because this is painful. Um, but I, um, I remember having that conscious thought of, I, I don't ever want to be like my dad. I don't ever want to be that way. Um, and I knew at a young age it was alcohol. Like I knew, you know, whatever it was, the alcohol made it really, really bad in the household. Mm -hmm. um, the funny thing is, or the weird thing is, when I went through uh, two years of EMDR therapy when I was 10 or 11 years sober, my brother and I both, both do not remember each other being in the household. So there's no, I have no memory of my brother being in the household because of the trauma mm -hmm. that was not only going on at my grandmother's house, but also going on inside of our home. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was fascinating because he has the same, because he went to treat uh, therapy for a minute and he also does not remember me being in the household. So interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, so, you know, of course. Do you, think that's, do you think that's because sometimes we kind of just uh, block things out? I think that's because when trauma happens at such a long, uh, a young age, that mm. we go into survival mode. Uh, that survival mode instinct kicks in and we go into a place. Um, our It's called our happy place, right? Yeah. My happy place was and has always been um, sitting in a like field of, it's almost like wheat, like tall wheat. Yeah. I have this like beige kind of dress on that's flowy and um, like it's, it's either, I think it's sunset and I'm just sitting there and there's nothing else around me. And I'll get to that because later on Jesus comes with me um, to keep me company in my safe space. Okay. Um, so that's kind of where I went. I don't know. I haven't talked to my brother about if he had a safe space for him. Um, my brother, um, was just subjected to the household alcoholism. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, as years went on, you know, of course, alcohol is a progressive disease and um, things started getting really interesting in the household and, you know, where uh, the physical started coming in and physical meaning um, with my mom and dad. My dad, um, I remember an instance where he um, pushed her out of the house and broke her leg. And I remember the cops coming and um, we went over to my grandma's and of course for me, my grandma's was another place where it was unsafe for me. Mm -hmm. So, um, that was kind of the normal living 
And then my mom finally um, left the household. Um, I was I was around age 15. And at age 15 is when I first had my um, kind of experiment with alcohol. And my first alcohol was, I remember having, remember Mickey's Big Mouth, the big, big. Yes. Yes. So I remember having those. And then also. The green, the green bottle. Yes. The green bottles. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like a barrel. Remember? And, and being uh, Irish, I mean, you know, it just goes hand in hand. I don't even know where it came from. Like, you know, I think so. So part of my disclaimer in my story. So this is my story. Um, this is my perception. I know all my family's on here. I know that um, my recovery women are on here. And I know that some of my Christian uh, friends are on here. This is my disclaimer. This is my story. It is what it is. And this is my perception. And I am going to tell it. That's fine, as you should. Yeah. And you know what? I'll try to watch my mouth because your Christian friends are on here. I won't try to. Thank you. Fuck, I was thinking about that too. I'll try not to fucking curse too much. Oh, whoops. That one slipped out. Sorry about that. Okay. All right. So you're 15 years old. Who had the Mickeys? I don't remember. You know what I do remember? I remember having the Mickeys. And I remember the the fiberglass skateboards, like the yes. little ones, right? Yes. And I had a green skateboard, too. And I remember I got drunk and I passed out on the front lawn I don't. I have no idea who I was with. I have no idea where the alcohol came from, um, but I remember that that feeling of being prettier, being confident, um, being a part of right. Right. Um, and even like during my um, adolescent to fifteen, I I always. I always felt alone. Like there's several pictures of me mm -hmm. in a book. I always was reading a book. Um, so for me, that was my escape was reading books. Um, so I thought that uh, there, there's, there's a lot of pictures or there used to be. We'll get into that later. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Um, so at 15, my mom left. Uh What does this say? It says everyone that has made it thus far and found long-term recovery probably actually definitely questioned if it was possible when they started out. Works if you work it. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I'm yeah. 53, so there's that. Yes. Um, anyway, so um, 15. So my, my mom moves out of the house, um, which was probably the best. However, it wasn't um, inside the household. So my mom moved out um, and... We, my brother and I stay with my dad and, um, this is really sad. So my dad, um, my dad used to kick my brother and I out on the weekends, um, and to fend for ourselves on the street. Um, my dad had a lock on the refrigerator and wouldn't feed us, um, moved his mother in and she was a very mean lady. Uh, my grandmother on my dad's side. Mm -hmm. And my brother has a memory um, that he was crying because he was hungry. So I went into, I tried to get into the refrigerator to make him a sandwich. And um, 
I got yelled at by my grandmother and mm. I don't know. He said that I yelled back at her and, you know, basically was trying to defend him because we were hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother on the weekends went to his friend's house in Fullerton and um, I went to the streets. Um, I, I can tell you that from 15 to, oh, probably early 20s, I don't have much of a memory. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a big blur for me. Um, I would, uh, sometimes go to my grandmother's and my, one of my aunts and I would go, um, she had a Plymouth duster and it was like a late seventies and it was jacked up and, and we would buy bottles of strawberry Hill wine and Mm -hmm. we'd drink them out of the straw. And then we would cruise Whittier Boulevard. Was it Boone's farm? Of course. Yeah. So, okay. So now, now you're painting a good picture for me, but between 15 and 21, you, uh, you don't recollect what was happening. Although you were on the streets, like you were living at grandma's or living at people's houses. But during the week. So I remember like, there's like, um, so people with extreme, uh, trauma have, Mm -hmm. um, normal people have like a movie reel. Yeah. So people with extreme trauma, have snapshots right okay then in in your snapshots during those six years was there any drugs involved had you started Uh, using uh, well yes i started using cocaine that was the 80s yeah of course okay and then with cocaine was it just like a weekend thing or what was it daily or did it start Uh, here and there and then became more here and there um so uh we had these cocaine dealers named Jaime, Jaime and Pedro, um, they did not use the cocaine. We used cocaine. They lived by the by the philosophy of don't get high off your own supply. Correct. That's right. And you know, um, it was it was you know in the beginning it was like a weekend thing, right? Like it was right. a weekend thing. Um, same with like Whittier Boulevard and those kind of things. And I remember, you know, a couple times having to break into my own house, my dad's house to sleep. I didn't have anywhere to sleep. So I would break in. And I remember one time I had this bird, um, I had parakeets and I had this bird. Um, it was blue. Um, and, my dad would not buy food for it. So um, the bird died because it was hungry. And I remember I was so angry. I was so angry at that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, can I, can I ask you, why would your dad lock the refrigerators? What What was the purpose of that? I don't know. Pesh. Was this just how he was? I think that, you know, looking back on it in retrospect, I think that he did that because he was so mad at my mother. Um, that he was punishing my brother and I. Gotcha. Okay. That's the only thing I can think of. All right. So so then if you, by 21, you do recollect things that were happening for you in your life then? A little bit. Um, so um, around early 20s, I'll say, um, I started war- working as a bartender course right in fullerton Uh, of course yes uh the bar was called the silver trails in fullerton 
-hmm. and all my Fullerton peeps on here, if you're on, um, I loved it. Like I had, I had arrived, man. Like I, um, I loved being a bartender. It was the best thing. Um, that's mm -hmm. where I felt I was included. I was in control, you know, because me, uh, being an alcoholic and an addict, you know, control is very, very important for me. Control is mm -hmm, very mm -hmm. important, you know? Um, and this is in your early twenties, right? Early twenties. Yeah. Had you finished high school? I graduated from continuation school. Okay. And what age was that? Like 18? I don't know. But you got by. I got by. I, no, 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 no college or anything on the horizon? You're just bartending? So, okay, let's go back to La Vista Continuation High School real quick. Because <laughs> I do have some good, have some good yeah, I already know. Yeah, I, I know where this is going. Go I, ahead. Okay, so I was selling joints um, at La Vista, and it was like, I don't know. What was that's, the deal? That's all everybody does in continuation. They three just get five. high. They three just get high. Five. Yeah, three, three for five. five. And I was dating this older dude that would come pick me up, super Hessian. That's what yeah, Hessian. That's what Fesh calls us. Rockers. Rockers, yeah. And uh, he would pick me up after school, and I was just the cool chick, right? That was the back in the day with the members-only jackets. Remember those? Yeah. No, yeah, I remember. Believe me. <laughs> I know I you know. do. I know yeah. you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, like I remember, my mom and dad both showed up. I did graduate and uh, had a cap and gown from continuation school. Right. Uh, but I did graduate. I do have a diploma. Okay, good. Yeah, uh, that was crazy. Um, so I only I I. I did one year at Sunny Hills High School in, in Fullerton and got caught smoking weed in the strawberry fields in the kitchen. Okay. Yeah. So So that that's the reason you went to continuation school. That is the reason why I went to continuation school. All right. And then you graduated like a little bit like a little bit later than you probably should have, right? One year later. One year later. Yeah. Now we get into your twenties and you become this bartender. Uh, was it you were having a good old time? Was and addiction was in the in the mix too? Was it just cocaine? Oh no, uh, 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 Mr. Methamphetamine came into uh, into the world. Okay, and so during that time, what is this like the 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 late late eighties, early nineties? Early nineties. Okay, and during that time in like the Fullerton area, because I know Fullerton like. There's different there's different parts of town. There's like Toker's Town. That's kind of where more 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 of the Hispanics Hispanic people live. And then there's a very white area, right? There is. Right. Yeah. And 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 I know that during that time, like if you knew people, especially if you were white in Orange County, that methamphetamine was kind of, it was that was crank. It was like early stages of meth. Like it wasn't ice, it wasn't glass, it was straight up. Old school. I don't think they called it meth. Probably called it crank or it just was no. crank. Yeah, yeah. Speed. Speed. Yeah, people called it speed. Yeah. How did you get introduced to that? Who had it first? <sighs> Do you see how I worked my way into that? So, um, this is where my disclaimer comes in. Okay. Um, so I actually 
um, first did it at my mom's house. Okay. How? My mom's you- apartment. Somebody brought it in from the bar that she was hanging out with. So, um, and I remember doing it, snorting it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I must have been up for 48 hours. And I hated it. Like it was totally opposite of cocaine, right? It was the strong stuff. S- super strong. Like, like not, not cool strong. This is not cool. Like, mm-hmm. what is this? Right. Right. Um, when you first, like for me, like when I, f- being cocaine, right. Cocaine mm-hmm. is you do it, you do it, you do it. And then it wears off and you, you go to sleep. Right. Like that's cocaine. Like you got to keep doing it, you know, right. uh, with meth, you, you know, you could do a little tiny bump and that, and it burned bad. You could go for a long time. Burned bad. Like right. bad. Like makes your eyes water bad, bad. Right. Yeah. Um, and I remember that was my first introduction to meth. Um, I had to have been... 23, 22, something like that. Mm-hmm. 324. Um, so I didn't like it at first at all. And I think I didn't like it because a, it kept me up too long and it made me feel weird. And, but then back in those days too, that was, that was different later on when they started perfecting the manufacturing of it. Right. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then B, um, the burning on my nose, I hated it. Like I hated it. Mm-hmm. Right? And of course, you know, any eighties, early nineties people, we only, for me, I only did it up one side, one nostril. I don't yeah. know you guys, right. You had the a favorite shit, nostril. The shit burnt too. Bad. Really bad. It was bad. Um, okay. So. Um, so then, uh, still working at the bar, um, I think around mid twenties, mid twenties, um, I got involved with a gang. Um, they lived in Fullerton. They had, um, a house actually, uh, right down the street from where I grew up, um, mm-hmm. off of, uh, Euclid and Orange Store. Um, I, I grew up on Baker street, uh, mm-hmm. in Baker, uh, right. uh, FTT was to the right and Baker street boys were to the left. Yes. And I hung out with, the um, some of the punk rockers and and rockers that's that was my kind of thing um anyways so um how long do we have pez can i ask you that sometimes we go 30 40 50 minutes sometimes an hour we're just listening to your story we want to hear about this stuff okay so how old are you at this time i was probably in my mid-20s mid-20s yeah so mid-20s um so in my neighborhood where I grew up on Baker Street, 
um, there was, you know, you have your neighborhood clique, right? Your mm-hmm. peeps that you've known forever that you went to school with or whatever. Yeah. Um, so some of those people um, belong to that gang. Okay. So what kind of gang was it? Was it a white gang? I'm just going to let you know. It was the lads. Okay. The lads were a representation. LA, LA death squad. This was before. Um, so I don't know how to describe it. Right. So, um, were, they, were they white? It was a white gang. Prominent, but there was also. Uh, and Latinos mixed in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Because and, that area, uh, that area was very saturated with both whites and. Yes. And some uh, and uh, Samoans too. Okay. Well, they were Samoans up in Fullerton yeah. in that area. Cause uh, I grew no, up- they were not in Fullerton. Um, so uh, I'll get to that, Pesh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me get to that. Okay. So anyway, so I started um, – so they had a pad over um, – off of Euclid um, and Baker over there, mm-hmm. that neighborhood, right down the street from where I grew up. Um, right. So I started hanging out there. Right. Like I'm hanging out like it's a mm-hmm. cool pad. I've known one or two of the ones for a while. They know I'm cool. You know, I'm not right. Like I'm grandfathered in. Let's just call it right. that. I'm grandfathered in. Um, you know, uh, I uh, remind me to tell you about the suicidals. Remind mm-hmm. me to tell you that piece, too. Anyway, I know the suicidal. You mean the suicidal identity gang? Remind me to tell you yeah. about that because that's part They're of it. They're from Venice. Yes, they are. Yeah. Um, uh, so then at one point, Bandit um, asked me, hey, do you want to rent a room here? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Got my own room. Uh-huh. Like, work at the bar, right? So this house, let me just give you a uh, kind of description. So this house was run by diesel batteries. There was no electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, the house was owned by one of the members' family. Mm-hmm. I want to say uh, because that member might be watching this too. Right. Um, anyways, um, so they charged me like a ridiculous amount of money, like 400 bucks a month. Like it was ridiculous. There was, there was no way on God's green earth. I should have been paying 400 bucks for that pad. Um, So at this point in my uh, career of uh, drinking and using uh, the, the bar that I was working out, the Silver Trails, was bought, and, and um, it was now Darby's Ar- Irish Pub. It was, right next, it was right next door to Giovanni's Pizza on, on Euclid. Mm-hmm. Um, so Darby's Irish Pub would have a lot of bikers come in. The Vagos, um, occasional Hell's Angels, um, that kind of stuff. I see where this is going. Yeah. Uh, and unbeknownst to me, the gang and bikers don't really. They don't like each other. They don't like each other. Yeah. Um, so I'm living in this, this pad. Like it's crazy. My meth is 100%. I'm using it daily. 
um, full tilt, right? Full tilt. I'll just, uh, you know, roller skates, headband, wa uh, walkie talkies going through, right? Like that, that full tilt. So you, you were representing and you were hanging out with the gang, not with the bikers. I wasn't representing anybody. I was just kind of part of this part of that. Were you getting along with everybody, the bikers and the gang? Of course. Okay. So you were a chameleon. You blend right in. Blend right in. And right? the drugs were flowing, especially that drug. Right. Right. And the, and, and, uh, you know, the bikers, they had good drugs. Yeah. Sorry. They, they, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, it was crazy, Pesh. It, yeah, it, I'm, I get it. That that um, that world is crazy. It's so, very crazy. So, yeah. I I I love that you're talking about this because a lot of people don't know those that, that world and that scene. I grew up in both Orange County, and then I've lived in LA too, and I still do. Um, during those times, this is in the 80s, 90s, you know, around that time, meth was not really a nationally used drug. Right. Um, it was definitely something that the biker gangs were distributing um, on the West Coast. And then it made its way uh, across our country throughout the following decade, let's say. And there was meth labs. People were cooking the stuff in places like Hemet. And Temecula, Lake, which Elsinore. Is Lake Elsinore. These were secluded areas um, where, and also up north, obviously, but there were secluded areas where people were uh, cooking and sometimes their meth labs would explode. This was uh, often reported on the news um, that another meth lab, uh, you know, started a fire or a house was burnt to a crisp as a result of somebody that was. Uh, uh, cooking dope, right? Now, people like me and you, we were just in the fucking scene. Like, it was that we we actually admired the cooks and the chefs and the ones that were cooking this stuff. Most people would see them as really the bad guy. You know, they're basically, you know, they're, they're, they're ruining people. But for bikers that like to go, you know, for days and days and just ride and do whatever they were doing, as well as many different types of people, not just the people that like represented gangs and things like that, but obviously the people that were in the population of, of Orange County and LA, like we would get our hands on this stuff. And it was a drug that we all just lived by. Like it, we would, we'd go for days and days and, and we would party together and we didn't trust each other. And we would hang out in motels and hotels and, and all of that stuff. And there was a lot of shade that would like surround itself around the world of meth. A lot of people didn't know that. It was later on where it started sprouting up in other parts of the country, like Missouri, which became like the meth capital of America for a while in Arkansas and many different places like that. But like, I remember back in like the nineties taking meth to North Carolina and to a, some huge party I went to and distributing it to people. And people were like, what in tarnations is this shit? Like, I've never seen this stuff. They hadn't even gotten a flavor of what meth was. So right. I, I could sell that shit for three times the amount. New York had never seen it. Right. You know, it was, and, and, and meth is also 
taken different forms over the years. Used to be that biker dope, that jet fuel shit. Then it turned into glass and then it turned into ice. And ice was like the most potent form and people were smoking it. We weren't smoking meth back in the day. And only a few people were slamming it. And those would be the people that had no qualms about sticking a needle in their body. We were straight up fucking snorting meth. Yeah. We were, and we didn't even call it meth. We called it crank or we called it, you know, all the different names. There was different colors and variations. Of it. There was pink. There was the peanut butter. There was, there was many, there was even some blue the yellow, stuff. the yellow, there yellow, there was blue Never. stuff. Yeah. The problem with that stuff was that, uh, I mean, I, from my experience, and I'm sure you experienced this, is that you would actually see demons within people and see demons within ourselves. Oh, yeah. It, it made you fucking evil. I mean, that's, yes, like, yes, definitely 150%. That is Satan's underbelly world. That's right. It's the devil's dandruff. I often yeah. said it. Yeah. Yes, 100%. So, so now at the time you are in your mid twenties, you're getting caught up. You're, you're like enjoying it, but you're hanging out with various people. What happened then? Like, did you, did so, you? So there was uh there was a couple of times, like my snapshots, right? I remember being at one of the HA's houses down the street. And um, I remember like one of them, like we had to clean the windows. Whoever it was that was in charge told us to clean the windows. Whoever dude I was with, right? right. And, um, I remember like, I ain't cleaning no windows. You know, I'm sassy. I'm sassy. I have no fear and that does not go over well in that world. So I remember a, um, they had a knife, like a, like a hunter's knife, right? Just going over the side of me like this, you got to do it. You better do it. Right. And I thought to myself, Oh, this is pretty serious. I yeah. We need to clean these windows. Right? Yes. Yeah. So, and then there was also, um, one point because you know i i was working at the bar and you know i would drink with them of, of course of, of course right and um i ended up in lake elsinore um coming out of a blackout and uh the meth kicked in right and it was uh sunrise and i remember swinging on this hammock mm -hmm. thinking where a where the heck am i and b what is that body of water down there Right. And it was a full blown meth lab house, full blown. Mm -hmm. um, I don't even remember how I got back home um, uh, from that place. Um, and those are just a couple of the snapshots that I have from the biker world. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. Like it was crazy. I remember I was dating one of their uh, one of the guys, son. And um, I remember they, I was living at that gang pad and I remember they came to get the son because he stayed the night over my house and they, it, you, they definitely rule the dominant. Okay. So yeah. with that said, didn't you get into a relationship with somebody who later? Yeah. So, um, later so you know, at, yeah. kids with? <laughs> So, you know, I'm living at this pad um, and it's, it's, it's significant bad. Like it's significant, like a lot of guns, a lot of knives, like it's significant. You could definitely, 
you know, but I, I, because I'm immune to all that, A, because, you know, I'm under the influence and B, um, I um, don't really care. Mm -hmm. Honestly, Pesh, like I did not care. I don't think when, when somebody's doing meth, they really care the shit about anything. There, there's no, there's a complete disconnect from the sunlight of the spirit. You don't care. You stop caring. There, yeah. there's, you have no morals, ethics. There's, there's all that's gone. Everything right. that you were growing up or taught to have, that is gone. Well, also, I think also because the power of meth and the way that it makes you feel, yeah. uh, it, it, it's, it's total euphoria. It's the ultimate bliss. Um, you, it, it makes you lose weight. It helps you clean better. It, it, you create projects. You want to do all kinds of stuff. And, and on top of that, like it, it just like it, it enlivens you. So you think it's not just all evil. Like it's not like it just becomes evil. The evil aspect comes from days of days of being up. That is correct. From lack of sleep. Lack of sleep, sleep yeah. deprivation from being malnourished, which that's why somebody loses a bunch of weight on meth. Like they think, um, oh my God, I, I, I truly, I did meth in the beginning to lose a bunch of weight because I was doing steroids. I gotten fat from working out and this and that, and then like eating too much because I was smoking weed and, and drinking, but I was doing meth to lose weight in the beginning. And then afterwards I realized, holy shit, this is like a tool that I could do all kinds of other shit where I could like change the world on this shit. But that's, that's a mind fuck. I wish that I used to lose weight, right, uh, right. but I was using strictly to mask the trauma that I, that my, for sure. Uh, I think I was doing that. That, too. That, that, um, that helped me to be a different person um, mm -hmm. under mm -hmm. the influence and to adapt to the surroundings um, around me. <laughs> you know what, Brian, <laughs> shut it. Um, you know what's good though, Cindy is okay. So I I have a lot of guests that come on this show, and a lot of them will skim over their trauma. They don't want to talk about it in depth. Today you talked about sexual trauma that you uh, that you encountered. You talked about um, trauma trauma within the house. You know what had happened with your dad, and and to hear your story the way it's building up, and then you wanted to just have fun. You wanted to enjoy yourself. You were starting to kind of like hang out with different groups and different people. Then you get into a relationship. Do you think that that relationship with that individual that you got into was um, a reflection of past relationships that you had, perhaps of the type of father that you had? Cause wasn't that dude gnarly? Absolutely not. No, no. Um, That's a great question. I'll have to come back to that. Okay. Nobody's so when, that. when did that relationship take place? So um, I am at the house and part of my story is, you know, I'm at the house and I come home from wherever and here's this guy and he's got tattoos from head to toe, including his hands um, everywhere. And um and, and part of it is, Pej, like, for me, like, no matter if it was him or whoever it was new coming in, I mm -hmm. would have um, taken hostage. You you would have taken him hostage or him you? Uh, me, him. Interesting. Very. 
So, so you got this guy with tough so, exterior and you have the ability to take him hostage? Let me let me tell you the reason why. So what? because of my sexual trauma, mm -hmm. my sexual um, perception is super skewed at this point. Right. I am having multiple sexual experiences, multiple sexual experiences with men. Mm -hmm. And for me, like I talk about that as being, you know, when I'm getting ready to go into the moment, right. I, it's like turning off a light switch for me. Mm -hmm. I do not have any emotion attached to it in any way, shape or form. Right. I'm going to get what I want and then I'm going to turn off that light switch and I'm going to go to the next. Okay. So that is the direct result from sexual trauma that I Got have. It. Right, right. So when I say I took him hostage, mm -hmm. in my mind at that time. He's the was, next one. He's my next one. That right. is correct. Yes. Got it. So he walks in. He's sitting on the couch. I'm like, oh, hey, right? Um, and I'm all, who are you? And come to find out, um, he was a part of that gang. And um, he just got out from doing a long stint in prison uh, okay. for, I believe, I don't know if I should say it. I'm not going to say it. Probably um, better not to say it. Yeah. So um, he got, a, a fr and I thought, oh, well, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was love at first sight. And, um, and we um, got together and, we had the bright idea of going up to Northern California um, to get away from Orange County because Orange County is super toxic, a lot of bad stuff happening, right? Like, and I remember my mom coming to that house in the driveway and I told her this great master plan that me and him are going to make this life for us up in Northern California and that um, I remember her saying good luck. And I remember thinking to myself, she is no longer going to be, um, in my life for a minute. Mm -hmm. I felt that like, I knew I heard her heart. I knew. Right. Um, so me and him, uh, decided to go up to Northern California. Um, we, um, he told me, I got family up there. We're going to get, you know, this house on the beach. And I make light of it because I have to. Um, and the house on the beach was, remember those 1970s trailers? Yeah. That had the lime green on it. And it was mm -hmm. just like a, it was like a small short one, you know? Yeah. So that was the house on the beach. <laughs> um, and um, we stayed there. Um you know, in my mind's eye, from my background, Pej, I thought I arrived, right? right. Like, there, this was good for me. Like, I had my own place. Um, you know, here's this guy. He's going to take care of me. Um, his uh, DOC was heroin. Mine was meth. His was uh, Jim Beam alcohol. Mine was, you know, beer um, and or tequila um, and I thought it was a match made in heaven, to be honest with you. Um, he, um, him and I, uh, so he was on parole at the time. Right. 
and I would UA test for him because up there, they don't have you go into an office. They come to your house. And I always had pee underneath the bathroom sink. Mm-hmm. So um, he could bring that out. I mean, it was crusty pee, floaties in there and everything. But you know what? It worked. And he got off parole. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he got off parole, so in between there, I got pregnant uh, twice. And uh, we had two sons, um, and Bobby and Kevin. And um, I remember we moved from that house on the beach to an apartment. Um, he was uh, um, working as a roofer. Um, and he, um, and I, when he got off parole, uh, decided to go to Minnesota where my brother lived and he wanted to try a new trade. So he shot a nail gun in the back of his hand to get, um, uh, disability and then also, uh, career, career, uh, different, um, track to truck driving. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went up to Minnesota and, uh, that was, that trip was, that trip was bad. So he put, um, a bunch of, I'm just going to say it. He put a bunch of stuff in his prison pocket. He's going, Mm -hmm. yeah. if you want to explain that you can, um, but, uh, the, the balloons broke. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had to pull over and spend a couple days at a motel uh, somewhere in between California and Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, it was bad. Um, so then we got to Minnesota and um, we were living at my brother's house. And uh, unfortunately, um, we got my brother. He was an IV user of heroin. And he got my brother um, um, doing that too. And his wife came home one day and um, there was a bunch of uh, needles in the ceiling and they all came falling down and we got kicked out of my brother's house. In Minnesota. Um, In Minnesota with two young kids under the age of three and a half. Did you ever officially marry him? Yes. And as far, how long did your relationship last with him? Um, we got married in 95 and I divorced him in 2007. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, was he ever violent with you? Never. Never. Did he didn't when he ended up getting locked up for a while? Yeah, we'll get there. So he was an atheist. And um, also he would spend hours upon hours educating me on atheism and um, the Vikings. Vikings. Yeah. And you grew up like, you know, know, I I always know that I always knew like no matter what, there was uh, something higher than myself. Okay. So um, where we get this house in the middle of Minnesota in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I'm telling you guys, it was bad. And um, he's a truck driver. He um, he um, took the car one day. Uh, he lost his mind. And um, I got a call 
from the police department a couple counties over mm-hmm. told me he was in jail for throwing a chair out the window thinking that aliens were after him because he had done meth instead of heroin. Um, so at that point, because I'm a good wife, I'm going to stay a couple days just to make sure, you know, if he gets out of jail or whatever. Um, but he didn't get out right away. So I called my brother. I said, Hey man, I, I got to go back to California. Um, he's locked up. I have no money to feed kids. Like it's a bad situation. No diapers, no nothing. So I get on a a red eye flight to uh, my mom's house in, um, California. And, um, I start living at my mom's and at this time he finally got out of jail. He flew back down here to Cyprus mm-hmm. and um, he was living at his dad's house. And, um, you know, I had told him, I said, look, I can't, I can't raise these kids and then do this relationship. Like it's really hard, you know, like it's a, it's really hard with the addiction. Like, and I, and I didn't have that. It's not that I had that, perception of it's the addiction. I just thought like, it's just too much, man. I can't. Um, so he met up with a, um, and I was letting the kids see him on the weekends and stuff. You know, I'm a, I'm a good mom. I'm, I'm a good wife. He met up with a, a, a girl that was young. Um, and I remember her coming over to pick up the kids, um, on a visit. And I had that talk with her. I said, Hey man, like, I'm not sure if you're fully aware, but you know, um, I don't think you realize the magnitude of him. And um, she's all, you know, she was in the flipped up hat, the, the long dickies and the gang. I call it the gang of her. And she's, <laughs> I'm okay. Okay, cool. You know what? I did my piece, sent the kids over there. And then um, they came back and around Mother's Day, of the year 2000, um, my mom had woken me up uh, to come watch TV, and here he was with that girl doing a highway speed pursuit from Cyprus to Anaheim, shooting out the car the whole time. Um, He ended up getting 230 years in prison, and she got 60 years. Um, So, you know, if anybody's ever heard my story. So my first thought when I found that out and like my son, my oldest son, he came down the stairs and uh, he's, he got, his dad got shot in the back the cop, mm-hmm. and uh, he was on a, a being wheeled into stretcher. And my name was tattooed on his neck. And um, my son came down and asked me why daddy was on TV. And you would think a normal person would respond to that. My first thought was, you know, um, thank God I'm done. Right. And then two was now I can really party. Now I don't have any restrictions. Mm. And that's what I decided to do. So, and what I mean by that was, um, so I ended up taking the kids to see him in the county jail a couple of times before he went to prison. Um, and going there, you know, I'm uh, a buck pin at most uh, in weight, picked through. Uh, my sons are dirty and diapers. I'm in no way, shape, or form fit to be a mother to these kids. And he told me, you know what, 
let my family come down and give you a break and let me let me take them from you. Fantastic. Fantastic. So um, So you could get loaded more? Yes. Yeah. So um, that happened, and um, I ended up at another gang pad in the city of La Palma after they were taken up to Northern California. And um, that first pad I was talking about, this next one, made that one look like a hotel that was really nice, like the Ritz Carlton. Mm -hmm. So um, this, this house... Um, was uh, the best I can describe it is the guy that lived there had um, mayhem on his record. And um, he, um, you know, there was, there's those snapshots where I remember coming to the house and there was plastic up in the, on a wall. Right. And, uh, there was ladder and some matter, and, and uh, I was told to wait outside until things were taken care of. And that was um, also, you know, that was kind of the uh, the silent room, even with uh, my kids' father. Like, we, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. We just go about our business. And um, so from there, um, I ended up back in Fullerton. Um, it was around, so I was probably out and using after my kids were taken um, another six to nine months. Mm -hmm. And then um, I also got physically assaulted from the gang as well uh, for hours for not being a good mom. And then um, Around Christmas time, I was living in Fullerton at some trailer park, um, and it stopped working. What stopped working? The drugs and alcohol. And I was upset. How old were you? I was, um, well, let's do the math. So I will be 20 years sober on December 28th uh, this year. So that was 20 years ago. So I am 53, 40, 30. 33? 33 years old. 32? 32 so, years old. Yeah. So, so it stopped working, and then what happened? You sought help? So I, I um, called my ex-mother-in-law, and I told her that I need help. And so I took a Greyhound bus ride to Northern California, and I stayed at a domestic violence shelter because there was no recovery homes at that time. Up did, there. You, did you stay sober in there? No. Okay, and then? Uh, well, I didn't do math. That's what you're asking. You did other stuff. Yeah. Um, so then, um, uh, of course, I was on probation myself, of course. Uh, I called my probation officer, and I said, I cannot do this. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Um, however, I want to just tell you that at that domestic violence shelter was the first time that I heard about AA. It was the first time in my life, mm -hmm. um, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and so he brought me, so I got done, I did 30 days up there, and then he brought me back down here to Costa Mesa to an indigent recovery home in Costa Mesa. Um, and I remember walking in, and um, this 
little old man uh, from the Pacific group um, was doing a group. And that was the first time I identified as an addict. I didn't identify as an alcoholic at first. I identified as an addict. I had no idea at all in any way, shape, or form that there was other people like me out there um, dealing with kind of the same issues. Um, and I can tell you that for the first time in my life, I felt a part of and um, the people were real. Like it was crazy, like the crazy the crazy part was that I wasn't alone anymore, you know? I don't want to ugly cry. Um, but like for me, living in my own mind for all those years, Pej, and being mm -hmm. alone and not being a part of and feeling low self-esteem and not being good enough and, you know, all that stuff. The moment I identified and sat in that room, all that went away. And then they handed me this crazy book and told me that this isn't part of it. And I'm like, what? And um, for me. I don't think I've ever seen you this emotional. Jesus. Because I've, it, I've it, heard you speak in those one places. Yeah. You don't get, you don't get like this. This is, this is, uh, it's good to bring all this up. It's good to, to it's good that get people it out. understand how important the recovery for me was um so that's where you stayed sober from there on i stayed um there at that recovery place for uh a year and a half name of the place yellowstone, yellowstone. which is in Co oh. costa mesa california costa mesa california it's, it's it's a, honey honey thames's place that is correct um and you know the you know when i when i came in um you know, at that time we were assigned sponsors. I'm not sure if she does that again today. I was assigned a sponsor, um, super structured, and it's exactly what I needed. They should assign sponsors in super structured places. I agree. Because uh, anyone that wants to disrupt that process is. I know. So in this particular, um, I don't know if the audience knows about Yellowstone, but for us women in Yellowstone at that time, we had um, that blue book shoved down our throats right uh, we were in meetings twice a day um seven days a week um so yellowstone is a place that's in costa mesa i love it i yep. adore i adore it honey created it for women in the first place then after a while she opened it up to men too she created a lot of homes right. um, yep. a lot of people that were getting out of prisons were coming there yep it was the place you know that if you couldn't if you didn't have the luxury of going to like boutique treatment or other treatment centers, Yellowstone was the place. And, and it was definitely 12 step based. And you ended up there for a whole fucking year and a half. Yeah. And you got your life back. So I got my life back. Um, so during all that time, um, I actually got an attorney through um, uh, the program and um, I got my first get well job. I was I worked at Wiener Sinitzel. I was a drive through girl. I worked that job for a year solid, took two buses, walked a mile. Um, I, um, you know, they talk about that humility part, right? The humility part and the willingness part. Uh, for me, that has never gone away. Like I am not one to sugarcoat anything at any time. I, I have been through my years, um, 
truthful and honest. Um, my my girls that I sponsored over the years, um, I got one on here right now. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, she, you know, another thing too about recovery is, you know, all those years before I got sober, you know, you think you have those friends and you think that you have people that care about you. You do not know that love and that friendship until you get in recovery because those people have been there with me through my my son's open heart surgery mm-hmm. through um i've been there for them for whatever process that they were going through like we uh, we call ourselves uh, honey's groups the steel magnolias because mm-hmm. there's at least don't don't because there's at least seven of us that i love that that all i love that all do birthdays together we all celebrate together me and my one of my besties that has two weeks sober than me mm-hmm. um take our chips every single year together no, no I, I know that I, and uh, that's one of the things i've admired about you and your crew over the years because i worked with you years ago at a treatment center where you were the director of uh, admissions mm-hmm. it was a major treatment center you know and um it didn't surprise me because I already knew Honey from before. I had been to Yellowstone. I had, I really admired what the type of work that they do, that no-nonsense type of environment, very 12-step based, very direct, very assertive and, and forward, kind of like a place that I got sober into. Um, and so when I would see you and your crew, because a lot of them worked in that place too, uh, you know, I'd go to some of the benefits, some of the, uh, uh, you know, when they would do like – fundraisers and things like that because you know i believe yellowstone's nonprofit right correct it's a nonprofit organization that helps a lot of people that are less fortunate or that are getting out of the prison system give their lives back so yes you steel magnolias is a great name for the crew it's a great name and yeah. and to from it was really cool that um you know, today our topic was, is there hope after addiction? And everything you just described, the way that you went through it all, what you went through, you know, you came and you turned your whole entire life around. And for a person that really never, did you go to college ever? No. Okay. You never really went to college, but you. I got my KDAC. You got your KDAC, which which is a drug and alcohol counseling uh, certification. Yeah. And you worked in the field and work in the field of addiction currently. I mean, this is your bread and butter. Your wheelhouse is basically to do admissions and help people get people that, that are less for that are not going through it or having problems. You're you know how to help them get the help that they need. This is a beautiful thing. I you know we don't have a lot of time, but I do want to say like what I've seen in knowing you in the last few years. Obviously, the father of your children died in prison. Correct? Yes, he did. From and cancer. from cancer, right? I've seen a woman who is now with a man. You're still with your man, right? Just making yeah. sure. Okay. I love my husband. He's a good man. Mm-hmm. He's a good man. He himself has a history and a past. Mm-hmm. But you guys came together in recovery. Mm-hmm. You're both in recovery. And you raised, you've raised your kids and you continue to raise your kids. And they didn't go down the path that, that uh, some of us went down. Right. So uh, the the trippy thing was is, you know, I always thought raising them because they're they're kids, right? They get into drugs and alcohol. 
um, as we, you know, all normal teenagers do, most of them anyways, um, but they are not, they do not have um, the gene that their dad and I had. They, they, my oldest is an active military. I'm actually going to um, go out there for Thanksgiving and cook him and uh, his buddies that are in the active military um, for Thanksgiving. I'm going, um, he's in New York. Mm. Um, so I'm super excited to do that. I'm taking my other son with me. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I feel that because of my sobriety and my fellowship, fellowship is everything for me and my firm rock under my feet. Um, God, number one, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, number one at the top. Everything else, my sobriety, everything else, um, as long as I do not pick up and drink no matter what every single day, mm -hmm. my life will get better every day. Awesome. I love it. You help a lot of people, Cindy. You know, uh, just seeing Lisa's comments on her saying that uh, – uh, that you at, at 90 days, she said you met each other and she was like a rock star. And then you drove her to probation. You're and I love you like a fat kid loves cake. I mean, these are things that are amazing. Like you, you were being of service at a very early part of somebody's recovery. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, That's you know, and I, and I still do 24 seven, right? I got a call last night, at 11 o'clock. Um, I, no matter what will fight just as hard as I did to when I was drinking and using to the day I die. You give a lot of people a lot of hope. I actually am in communication with a friend who was watching today, who's actually going through similar stuff of what you were going through back then. Mm -hmm. And she was actually messaging me during this saying like, this sounds all familiar, you know, whatever. So with that said, um, I, I, you know, it's such so good to have you on here. I've been wanting to do this for a while. I've always, you know, we're friends. We're good old friends. Yes, we love are. you. I love you so much. And I thank love you for you coming too. out today. Have a good rest of your day and weekend. Thanks Bye, to everyone who, who tuned in. Bye. <laughs>